they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give them rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving, loving kindness I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with all your tambourines, and you shall go forth the dances, the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plan to eat them, eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let's go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Okay, so God is going to bless his people again. He speaks in verse 2 of the people who survived the sword, who found grace in the wilderness. Now there's a debate about, is this talking about what God had done in the past when he brought the people out of Egypt? Or is it talking about what he's going to do when he brings them out of Babylon? Uh, perhaps you can see that either way. I'm not absolutely sure. Uh, both of them would be, you know, would fulfill the language of this. And, and all the, you know, God's blessing, the return, and the ultimate blessing in Christ is a demonstration of the character of God in verse 3. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, there are some features of God that are just constant. God is always a loving God. You know, when we say God is love, it means every everything God does in some way relates to his character as a God of love. Now, we miss God if we think love is the only characteristic of God. No, there are some other qualities of God that are a part of God's nature and everything he does also. I would say things like God is holy and God is just. You know, there's a lot of qualities, but God is a loving God that's a constant in God's character and it's because of that love that he's going to bless his people again. After the punishment, he's going to build them. There's going to be joy of celebrations and worship again. He's going to plant them. And uh, this reminds me of what God told Jeremiah in the very beginning that his role was going to be. Because in Jeremiah 1.10, he says, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the building and planting function here, as he speaks of building in verse 4 and planting in verse 5. Uh, so God was going to build and plant again. And he was going to restore the unity of God's people because in verse 6 on the hills of Ephraim the watchmen say to go to Zion <laughs> so you've got Ephraim coming to Jerusalem to worship you've got the restoration of that divided people of God uh, the tension, the schism the Jeroboam, Rehoboam thing is now dissolved as God's people are reunited again so, mercy for God's people, 
foreground fulfillment in the return from captivity, ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Comments and thoughts? 7 to 14. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save the people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame the woman with child, and she who is in labor with child together. A great company they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water, on a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather them, and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and redeemed him from the hand hand of him who was stronger than he. <clears throat> shall, and they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, and over uh, the young of the flock and the herd. And their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then the virgins shall rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. So, he's describing these blessings. You see the great celebration in verse 7. Sing aloud, shout, proclaim, give praise. Uh, as God is saving the remnant of his people. And uh, that's who the salvation applies to. God's people are the remnant. God's people is not everybody that has Abraham's genes. It's ultimately the Israel that has Abraham's faith along with the Gentiles that have Abraham's faith. So the people are the remnant. I'm bringing them from the north country. You know, the, the judgment has come from the north. That's all over Jeremiah. Now the salvation comes from the north. That shows the reversal. Uh, the blind, the lame, the pregnant woman. You know, those who are most vulnerable, God blesses again. And God helps again. Oh, that reminded me of something I forgot to mention. In uh, verse 4, Again, I will build you, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Did you notice that? Would you call Israel a virgin? She's been called a harlot, so I'm thinking maybe not. Uh, yeah, so what does that tell you about God? Yeah, in a very profound sense. Can you imagine having a wife? who goes off with every man in the country. And then you bring her back, you forgive her, and you see her as a pure virgin. Wow. I mean, I think most men in that situation, even if they took their wife back, would still find it challenging to accept her at every moment and not to be hold that against her. 
God's able to call his people a virgin. That's really remarkable. God's forgiveness is so complete. But he blesses even the most vulnerable of his people, the weakest ones. And But notice in verse 9, how do they come back? And the weeping and the supplication shows what about them? That they that they've repented, that they're sorry about what's happened. Absolutely. You see that a lot in the prophets. The people that are blessed after the judgment are people who've humbled themselves and turned back to God, grieving their sins. Um, Ezekiel will say several times, loathing themselves for their sin, which uh, probably modern psychiatry would say you should never do. But we, we should hate what we've done and hate ourselves for doing it. Now, there's a balance. We recognize that God deeply loves us, and that's very comforting. But it shouldn't take away our sense of deep regret for having hurt the Lord how we have. God does not want people to come to him grinning because they think they're going to help God so much. He wants us to understand deeply how hurt he's been by what we've done. So they come back grieving and God blesses them and gathers them back like a shepherd uh, gathers his scattered flock and redeems him from the hand of the one who's stronger than he. And and man, I mean, the, the way he describes the salvation here is just incredible. In 12, they come and shout for joy. And God just blesses them with abundance like you wouldn't believe in verse 12. The virgin will rejoice in the dance. You see just constant celebration as God just gives them as much joy and abundance and blessing as you could imagine. You see the extravagance of God's love. I mean, if God just brought them back and tolerated them, that would be amazing. I mean... If the prodigal son's father had said, okay, if you insist, you can be a slave. You're not really worthy to be. But since you're my son, I'll let you be a slave. But don't expect me to give you a hug. And don't expect me to, you know, make over you or whatever. That would have been wonderful. Wow, that's a lot better than slopping the hogs and not getting to eat the hog, hog slop. But when the father runs out to the boy and hugs and kisses him and throws this big party for him, that's like unbelievable. That's God. Unbelievable blessings. Unbelievable salvation. Incredible comfort and joy and deliverance because of his intervention. Just, uh, you know, he says, I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance. Now think about that one. If God fills the soul of the priest with abundance, what's that really saying God is going to do? Fill the the rest of the people with abundance since the people since the priests receive the tithe, the tenth. So if what is left left over, if the tenth brings abundance, what does the other ninety percent do? Exactly. 
Because when they were being judged, God even took away from them the crops and the animals that enabled them to fulfill their covenant obligations and sacrifice. But now he's blessing them with crops and animals again so that they can give the sacrifices they were supposed to. And the priests ate off of the sacrifices, so that means they thrive again. It's a roundabout way of saying God blesses his people again. Joel 1 talks about the judgment being God not even giving them the chance to offer the sacrifice that they were supposed to because of their wickedness. All right, comments and questions here through verse 14. So then, looking back at verse 12, the first bit of bounty that's restored in this list, the grain, the new wine, and the oil. Yes. The, the three, three of the sacrificial... Yeah, that's correct. And, and locked in the herd. And yes, very much. So. And that becomes the threesome or the fivesome that you see a lot of times in the Old Testament. He will bring together the grain, the wine, the oil, and sometimes with the flocks and the herds. And that pretty much sums up agricultural production in Israel. Other thoughts? In verse 10, it says, He who scattered Israel will gather him. And I think that's, in some ways, just a reminder that it's not the Babylonians, it's not the Assyrians, it's not the Amorites or the Philistines who scattered the people, but God himself who scattered them. And he's the only one who can also gather him back together. Exactly. Great point. Anything else on all that? We look like we could use a break. Why don't we take our break now?